not that I'm short, of course. All right. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Y'all sound enthusiastic. Thank you. Um, so one thing we wanted to mention real quick before I start is um, that if you we're doing a panel discussion in a few weeks, and so we want y'all to send us questions. Um, there's a number. Well, that number's not on there. You can text the questions to that. Uh, Dave's given you know explained how to do it, but. We only have two questions right now. So if we don't get any more questions, we're not going to be able to do the panel. So, and we really want to do it. Um, so don't be shy. Don't feel like it's, it's anonymous. So no question is a stupid question. Um, and we all know we all have questions that come to mind whenever we're doing topics like this. So whatever, whatever you have that comes to mind, write it down. And don't forget to put in, type in those questions so that we can address them. All right, so last week, uh, Dave talked about men in marriage, and this morning I get the privilege of talking about women, marri- women in marriage, uh, which is slightly controversial sometimes, so no pressure. Um, but so in case, I've been here for a while, but in case you haven't met them, here's a picture of my husband and Riley. So um, that's been my husband. We've been married five years since January, uh, met him at UT got married when I had graduated and he was in grad school for mechanical engineering because he's like crazy smart. Um, and then that's Riley, our daughter. She'll be two in May. She's officially a toddler, had her first meltdown yesterday. That was fun. Um, but she is adorable. And so these are just like the best people on earth. So now you have a face to a name whenever I talk about them. So I've been, um, marriage has been one of the best and most challenging things that I've ever done, um, raising a baby being the next one. Um, but it really has been, like we've talked about in weeks before, it's been one of the most sanctifying things too, because I've learned so much about myself and about Christ from being married. So my hope this morning is to give you a big picture of what God says is women's role in marriage and how there's actually a lot of joy and freedom that come when we live within it. Um, So there's a lot of words associated with this topic that can be controversial, right? And sometimes, frankly, can seem archaic to us in this generation. But I'll admit that even though I grew up in a Christian home, and I grew up in a really conservative bubble of a town called Lubbock, Texas, out in West Texas, a million miles from here, um, I still actually struggled with the idea of a woman's role in marriage and, of course, the word submission, Um, before I actually studied the word and understood what God was trying to tell me. So this morning's talk is coming from someone who started off a little skeptical. When I got married, can you hear me? When I got married, um, I had actually only began understanding the gospel for a couple years before. So I had a long road ahead of me, uh, learning how to be a follower of Christ, and then also how to be not just a wife, but a godly wife. Um, So this morning... This is coming from this perspective of someone who had to start from the beginning and from someone who was heavily influenced by cultural beliefs. And we all know that the culture now has taken the word feminism to new extremes, to the point of equalizing and neutralizing gender roles so that they're, they're the exact same and almost like they're interchangeable parts of a machinery. And what started off as women's rights and equality of the sexes, which is a good thing, has become somewhat of a power struggle of who makes more money, who gets to be in charge, who gets the final say, who is the better person. And that seeps into our thinking as girls, because then we can start to think that we're always right, they're always wrong. The men in the sitcoms are the idiots, and the woman runs the household. 
And then we get justified, and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And, of course, I should be able to date a vampire and a werewolf at the same time and then be totally cool with it and have plenty of time to decide who I want to be with. And I'm not making political stances here, or Twilight stances, but I want you to keep these things in mind, these things that the world can sometimes tell us, because oftentimes the way that the world says women should be and the way that God says women should be are drastically different. So we all know that God created men and women differently, right? You talk to the other person for five minutes and it's obvious. I am reminded daily how different Ben and I are wired and how differently we think. Because when I tell him a story that feeds into another story that then reminds me of another story that's, of course, connected to the first story, girls tracking with me, yeah, Ben is lost every single time. He just tells me that I spiderwebbed him because everything is connected in this nice little web that fits and connects perfectly in my mind that he gets totally lost in. But that just means that God is wired as differently, and that does not mean that Ben is superior to me. We're both equal, but God has designed us differently and uniquely. So let's read Genesis 1, 27, 28. So it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of heaven, over every living thing that moves on this earth. So men and women were made equally in the image of God. Both in the image of God, equally made, equally blessed, equally given dominion over the earth, but with different roles. And these roles that God has given us is for is a gift to us, and it's for our good and to glorify him. And as we hash out these roles, um, I want you to keep an open mind. And it's also helpful to remember what the man's role in marriage is too. So last week Dave talked about how a man is supposed to be a servant leader. So they're supposed to love like Christ loves sacrificially, humbly, lowering himself, sacrificing himself, treating his wife the way that he would care for his own body. So with all of this in mind, let's read Genesis 2.18 when the woman first comes onto the scene. So it said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So did you know that in all the creation story, up to this point, this is the first time that God says something is not good. It was not good that man was alone. So God made woman to be his helper. So the woman is supposed to be the helper, and under that category will come the command that we'll see to love, respect, and submit. But first, let's talk about the word helper. So when I think of the word helper, I automatically think of the movie The Help. Y'all have seen that, right? Where there is racial discrimination, there is a race that is not equal, that's considered less worthy, and it's looked down upon. This is not what God is saying here. The word helper in Hebrew is ezer, which means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking. So that does not imply being weaker or stronger. That also does not imply a perfect clone. But it implies a fit, a complement, and a necessity to the one who's being helped. And almost every other time in the Bible that the word helper is used, it's used to describe God himself. So let's look at a couple of verses. John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Psalm 54, 4, Behold, God is my Helper. The Lord is my, the sustainer of my soul. Hebrews 13, 6, The Lord is my Helper. I will not be afraid. What, what, man, what will man do to me? 
So the word in English, help, sounds like you're assisting someone who may or may not need help, but probably would be fine without it. But if you go back to the original translation in Hebrew, it means so much more than that. It's, it's implying an important and pivotal need. And I don't know about you ladies, but that actually makes me feel pretty important. So the fact that helper is used to describe God and the Holy Spirit shows how essential the role is, not the inadequacy, inadequacy of the role. And also when it says fit for him or suitable in some of your translations, that can mean opposite to. So in other words, a perfect complement to, an equal and a perfect fit to fill in what is lacking. Um, and we also see that from the fact that woman was made from a man's rib, showing the perfect complement and the perfect fit with one another. So one needs the other like a puzzle piece that is distinctly different enough to fit and fill in what is needed and to make the whole divine image. So I hope you can begin to see the importance of, of being a helper, how it really is a gift and an honor from God. But again, this is not a power struggle. This is not a tug of war of who's going to be in the right and who's going to be better. A husband and wife are supposed to be teammates working together towards unity, towards sanctification. So what does a helper look like? So a helper is an encourager to her husband. So think again of a teammate rooting for that person, always being on their side in everything, unless that side is sin, of course. An encourager is someone who affirms them, shows respect, supports, gives unconditional love, kind of like parents do for their kids or how Jesus does for us infinitely more. An encourager is not someone who constantly nags or puts down or like that little blue girl on inside out, sadness, who just always sees the worst in every situation. So think of someone that you're close to. If they put you down on everything that you did, every decision you made, wouldn't it make you not even want to try and make decisions anymore? So wives have tremendous power to do good in their husband's life. Because God designed women to help their husbands become the leader that God has created him to be. So the wife is called to support and aid the husband as he tries to direct the family toward Christ. So we were made to come alongside and help in the most pivotal way. So a helper is someone who loves and serves their family. Titus 2 says, train the young women to love their husbands and children. And I mean being selfless and serving your children because that's the way that God Christ did for us out of his love for us. So the world always teaches us you have to take in order to gain, but isn't giving and sacrificing what brings more satisfaction, being the hands and feet of Jesus? Think about the people you're close to, your friends and family. Aren't you most willing to help them, that the people that you're close to? Because out of your love for them, you naturally look out for ways to help them and support them and take care of them. So wives are to daily serve their husbands by going out of their way to look for ways to show their love and to support them and help them. And of course, that looks different for every couple because everybody's different. So everybody receives love differently. Everybody struggles with different things, but the biblical principle is the same. It's interesting, isn't it, though, because that the men are called to be servant leaders. So they're called to, to be selfless, to be sacrificial and serve the other. And then our role as helper coincides with that because as someone who is supposed to come alongside and help we should also be serving and sacrificial and showing unconditional love i've always noticed in my relationship with ben a cycle or a relationship with anyone really that when i'm being selfless and putting others needs above my own that just encourages them to then be selfless back to me which then just encourages me 
to be selfless back. You see the cycle. But it's called unconditional love for a reason, because I don't expect anything in return. So right now I live in a baby toddler world because I have an almost two-year-old. And I hear from moms say, well, I did this, or I took care of them all weekend, so it's my turn for a break. But does that sound like selfless thinking? Because I don't love and serve my family just so I can tally up so I can take a break. I don't demand for Ben to take over so that I can go on a trip. But since Ben is functioning as a servant leader, he takes over without me asking. He tells me to take breaks. He takes over. He wants me to rest. But even if he wasn't, even if he was blind to me being overwhelmed, even if he's too busy with work, I would still love and serve with not expecting anything in return. And as teammates, we communicate often on how we are loving and serving one another and how we can improve on that. And so if I am feeling overwhelmed, then I'll bring it up and we'll talk about it and see how we can make things work better. But if my ultimate goal is to serve Christ and is following Christ, then that's going to show through in the way that I show love and serve Ben. So let's talk about another verse, Ephesians 5:33. It says, oh, I'm getting a call. It's not from Ben. I keep my phone in case the baby needs me. It's slightly obsession. Okay, of Ephesians 5:33 says, "Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." So wives are to respect their husband. So girls, you know how we want to feel loved, right? We really need to feel loved. We need to feel special. And unfortunately, when we don't feel loved by people we're close to, things can tend to fall apart. Well, guys need to feel respected. So the word respect says to notice, regard, honor, prefer, defer to, encourage, love, admire. So God tells women that they are to respect their husbands. They should listen to them, encourage them. And even on times when they disagree or if the husband is struggling with something, you're still to respect them. Because respect is a choice to receive your husband regardless of their flaws or their weaknesses. And respect begins on the inside. Starts in the head and the heart, and then it shows through your actions. So if you're thinking to yourself, man, that was really stupid what he did, or man, that really bugs me to death, then that kind of thinking is just going to filter through in your actions and then the way you talk to him. And then even more in the way that you talk to other people about him. And um, a lot of times as girls, sometimes we struggle with gossip, right? Just a little bit. And so sometimes what might be a prayer request is really just complaining about the other person. So respecting your husband affects the way you talk to other people about him and especially the way that you talk to other guys that are not your husband. So it's an attitude that shows that you care a great deal about him, his beliefs, his thoughts, his actions, and his integrity. But if you're spending time in your walk with Christ and praying for your husband, then that's going to, God's going to give you more patience and more grace and more love. Because our most important work in our lives is our relationship with Christ. Because if we're working on the vertical, then the horizontal relationships, friendships, dating, marriage is going to show through and it's going to be easier to be Christ-like. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as you become more Christ-like, the way that you love and serve other people will show through as well. All right, I get, keep getting a call from Schlotkeys for the Mission G meeting. Just going to put that over there. 
Okay, so if you're really viewing each other as teammates working together towards sanctification, then you give the benefit of the doubt. You respect each other or you disagree respectfully. So the third role in marriage is submission. Uh, best for last. So Ephesians 5, 24 says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Let's read it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and in his, is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So wives are to submit to their husbands. And as I said earlier, before I got married, I did struggle with this idea because I didn't understand it. And I'm an independent person, and as you know, the culture around us cringes at this word. But that's because it's countercultural, and nobody really understands it until they see it lived out. So submission is defined as this, to defer ultimate leadership to the husband for the health and harmonious working of the marriage relationship. So it's a choice to compliment him rather than compete with him. So why we are to submit voluntarily to our husband's loving leadership. And as you submit and come to his aid, then you're completing him and using your gifts that God has given you to help him fulfill his responsibilities. So it means giving up your desire for control and cooperating with him as he seeks to lead your marriage and your family. So here's a quote by John Piper. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It is an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I am glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish in the relationship when you are passive, and I have to make sure the family works. So like I said before, every marriage looks different in the roles as far as who cooks, who cleans, who pays the bills, who works full-time. God leaves those things open for each marriage because God has given each person, man and woman, different gifts to, to be used to glorify him. So getting married and submitting girls does not mean losing your identity or losing your gifts. On the contrary, I have learned so much more about my identity in Christ from being married. And I've also seen how my personality and gifts complement Ben and make as a great team. So something else that submission is not. It does not mean that you are inferior. We've covered that with Genesis. It does not mean that you blindly obey with absolutely no input or say. Ben and I will often talk through and pray through decisions of what we think is best for the family. Majority of the time, we come to an agreement together. But if there are times where we have different preferences, then I defer to his judgment, knowing and trusting that he is trying to lead our family well. So I gladly walk alongside him and help him as he makes this decision and we move forward in it. And we are not to submit to abuse, obviously. That should be addressed immediately. And we are also not to follow our husband into sin because our priority as men and women is to honor Christ in everything. And so we are to make a stand if that is being contradicted. But there's a way to do that respectfully as a partner and not a competitor. And by the way, the Bible does not say that women should submit to men in general. We are equal. We should be treated fairly. You should go into the workplace if you want to influence the culture. But these are the roles in marriage that God has designed for us for, in order for us to thrive and in order for us to glorify him the most. In Colossians 3, God is telling us to put on a new self and be renewed into the image of Christ. And then in verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
And the next verse, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. So it's saying as we are being renewed into the image of Christ, do everything in the name of the Lord. And with that, wives, submit to your husband as is seen fit by the Lord because God has created it to be that way. So if a wife is submitting to her husband, her husband is submitting to Christ, then ultimately the wife is submitting to Christ. We both submit to Christ. And our goal is to work together in unity and oneness as we walk towards sanctification. The earlier part of Ephesians 5 talks about being imitators of God. And as such, we are to submit to one another in reverence of Christ. So let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Paul says that a husband and wife are supposed to mimic how Christ loves the church. So Christ was a servant leader, sacrificed himself, made himself lower, was humble, out of his love for his church, for his people. So we as wives are supposed to submit to that kind of love. And out of a response of that, we submit and love as the church loves Christ. But also think about Christ's relationship to the Father. So in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son are both God, right? They're both equal. And yet Jesus willingly submitted himself and lowered himself to the Father's will, choosing to follow the Father's authority. So just like we submit as the church submits to Christ, we also should submit like Christ does to the Father. And when it's put in that light of think of Christ, it doesn't make submission quite as daunting, right? When we understand what's been called on the men and the way that Christ has chosen to submit. In um, 1 Corinthians 11.3, just says, The head of every man is Christ. The head of wife or a husband and the head of Christ is God. So there's a oneness that happens in marriage when both the man and woman are functioning in their roles. But don't you see, we have to both be Jesus. The man is to be the servant leader as Christ was, serving and sacrificing himself. And the woman should voluntarily submit herself to his leadership as Christ did to the Father in order for us to take part in this role to bring glory to the Father. And ultimately, we are both submitting to Christ. So when there's a fight over who gets to be the leader, that's just a power struggle. Who knows why God chose the order the way he did? Why was Jesus the one to submit and serve? I mean, don't you think the maker of the universe would probably know what's best? We don't know why, but we do know that God has created us and specifically designed us to fit into this role as a helper to the husband. And it's a role that needs to be filled to enable the husband to fill in the gaps to allow him to lead well. So now in this next part, I want to talk about sin struggles for women. Um, Instead of being able to come up with six specific stereotypes like Dave was able to do, uh, you know how we're complicated, girls. Um, I came up with two, two umbrellas, independent woman and insecure woman. And under that, there's a lot of different um, variances and a lot of different struggles that we can have that I felt like were rooted within independent woman and insecure woman. But I'm making a disclaimer that if you feel like you're an independent person, that does not mean you struggle with all of these. I'm just saying these are some different struggles that we can have as women. So first off is independent woman. An independent woman is someone who has put her identity in herself and her abilities and can have lots of self-determination. So this is someone who could be controlling, uh, wants to control the situation, does not want to be controlled. Um, so the idea of submitting to her husband um, can be difficult, and it can be difficult for her, allow to, for her to allow him to lead. Instead, there's a lot of potential for power struggles 
in her, all of her relationships, competing for the final say, always wanting to be right, and this can make it difficult to work with people, especially her husband. Proverbs 27:15 says, and continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. So like dripping on a rainy day and a wife, quarrelsome wife are the same, basically annoying. So in other words, when someone with this personality who always thinks they know best and wants to prove it by nagging, demanding to be right, that personality is only going to drive the man who might have passive tendencies to be more passive, like we talked about last week. So that's only going to drive them further into that. Then there's the dramatic girl. This is someone who also could come from insecurity and a lot of times from past experiences. But it means she may always have to be right. It always has to be her way. There's a lot of drama that surrounds this person. Uh, maybe because she doesn't get along well with people, talks bad about people, or assumes the worst in situations. Um, and this person may have a hard time not questioning her husband's leadership. Uh, selfishness is another quality, uh, putting her needs before others. So choosing to be the one that come out ahead and seeking out her gain first as opposed to others. When God calls us to be humble and to be last and put others before you. And this, again, can cause tension in relationships and maybe not allow for many deep relationships to happen. And then there's the shallow girl. This uh, person may not allow people to get close to her, uh, maybe she uses humor to make sh- seem everything seem okay instead of being vulnerable uh, with friends or eventually her husband um, and not opening up, allowing herself to admit weaknesses to, so that she can grow. So then the next category is insecure woman. So being insecure, someone who is not secure or comfortable um, with the way that God has created her to be, and this is can transpire in many different ways. So the first one is maybe being a good person. So meaning that she always does the right thing to the point of maybe she doesn't see her sin or she has pride in the fact that she doesn't sin or doesn't mess up. So she's hiding behind her good conduct to not see her need for grace. And a lot of times this comes out of uh, fear of failure or fear of um, rejection. And so the other one is idolizing. Insecurity in marriage can turn into passivism to where you idolize your husband Um, And not make a stand if he is sinning, but everything he does is amazing. And to the point where her identity can be based on him and his opinion of her. Um, And this can transpire in regular relationships too. Maybe thinking like you're deferring to um, a leader or someone you admire, but it turns into idolizing. And then there is um, lustful. So someone who wants attention and wants to be desired. Guys lust when they want to look at a woman. Girls lust when they want men to look at her. So we're going to talk more about all this in the next few weeks. But dressing in a way that makes guys stumble does not get you what you want. Because it only makes you more insecure and then questions their motives. So modesty is actually a very attractive quality to guys who are pursuing Christ. And then when you get married, your husband appreciates it. Deceitfulness is another quality. This happens out of a fear of rejection or being made fun of or maybe to not fit in. And this person will lie to make make themselves feel better, make them look better, or to protect themselves. And then the last one is comparison of insecurity. 
So this is someone who always thinks the other person has it better. They look better. They have the better guy. They are skinnier, um, whatever it may be in the relationships. That relationship looks better. That functions better. So this causes a lot of discontentment in where God has placed you and who God has uh, designed you to be. And I would have to say that all of us girls, to some extent, struggles with comparison. Um, And let me just say that comparison does negatively affect your marriage and the way you view and respect your husband. So even though y'all aren't married, these things are, are good to keep in mind because a lot of times we may do these without even realizing it. But here's some encouragement. As you walk in your relationship with Christ and as you grow, as you die to yourself daily and become more transformed into his image, then these tendencies will become more evident and easier to overcome through Christ. So when we hear the, the qualities of a wife, this is something we should be striving for anyway, isn't it? Being selfless, serving others the way Christ did, re- being respectful. But like I said before, proper relationships start with a relationship with God. So when we're focusing on him, then it becomes so much easier to love others sacrificially and to eventually in marriage to love the way that God has called us to through sacrifice, submission to his will, to Christ and to our husband. So when I'm functioning in my role as a helper, things go so well. I thrive in my relationship with God and my relationship with Ben. And that is not because I found the perfect servant leader who makes helping just a breeze. He's a sinner, and I'm a sinner. But it's because my focus is on Christ. So if it ultimately comes down to that fact, if I'm submitting to his will and submitting, allowing Ben to lead our family toward Christ. So marriage is a tool to sanctify us, to be more like Christ. And as we function within those roles, God grows us and teaches us more about yourself and about him than you could ever, ever imagine. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, the way that you have designed us, Lord. Even though sometimes we may not understand completely the why you have designed or the why you have um, allowed things to happen the way they do, Lord, but we know that um, it's for our good and for your honor and your glory, Lord. And I pray that as we uh, begin to understand the way that you have created men and women differently, Lord, that we can um, find the joy in that and the fulfillment knowing that you have designed us um, equally with a a special purpose, and that is to love and honor you. Um, I just ask all these things in your name. Amen.